Consider for a moment that you are a Jewish farmer who is following Jesus. You see this man of extraordinary strength, hearing his teachings, and see his miracles, noting his real care for others, in contrast to some religious leaders who seem to only just serve themselves. Nonetheless, you are established by a range of responses to him. Among the crowds are the scoffers, most notably the Pharisees and scribes. As you make your way through the crowds, you will overhear murmurs, some proclaiming him to be a prophet, while others proclaim him to be possessed. They ridiculed him, declaring him untrustworthy. Additionally, the scoffers leveled charges against him, claiming he broke the law and promoted lawlessness. They condemned his association with sinners and completely rejected him. Opportunists were also there, attracted by the prospect of obtaining something for themselves, such as a healing or perhaps profiting by selling items to the crowd. They clearly have no intention of following Jesus' example or abiding by the Pharisees' rule. Only a tiny proportion of people genuinely believe that Jesus is calling them, respect him, and refer to him as a prophet. And some who were in the minority started to wonder whether this was the son of David, the Messiah. Is it fair to think that after hearing his wisdom and seeing miraculous healing demonstrations, there would be more than enough proof established that he was who he claimed to be? Thus, we must question why a gathering of a little more than 10,000 individuals all seeing the identical events would have such adverse responses. Why do the same events have such adverse effects on a large number of people? This inquiry takes us into chapter 8 of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 8 verses 1 through 3. Soon afterwards, he went on through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who have been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Shazuza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others, who provided for them out of their means. Luke takes a short break from recounting Jesus' teaching in Galilee to demonstrate how Jesus lived the life of an itinerant preacher, moving from location to location without a stable source of income and making no effort to accumulate worldly riches. Jesus' whole career was dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of God's kingdom. Jesus was joined by the twelve disciples, as well as his most dedicated followers. Mary Magdalene was one of the most devout of Jesus' disciples. Her given name is taken from the town of Magdala, where she was born. She was possessed by seven demons, which Jesus cast out. Joanna, who is also devoted to Jesus, 
witnessed his crucifixion and burial. She is also connected to Herod's household, indicating that she had access to wealth. Additionally, it's remarkable how fast Jesus' ministry reached the highest echelons. Finally, there is Susanna, who must have been well-known in the early church and therefore familiar to Luke's readers, which may explain why Luke does not elaborate. According to Luke, all of these women, as well as a large number of others, aided Jesus in his mission. I like how Luke tried to give facts about Jesus that lends credit to Jesus' story. Luke answers the question of how Jesus could travel without ever having stable employment, as has every subsequent full-time minister. Others who understood the importance and need of Jesus' mission rallied to his assistance. Luke then returns to the specifics of Jesus' discourse after this short detour. Jesus gives us the sower's parable, Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture, and some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it, and some fell onto the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In one of the most renowned parables of Jesus' career, the parable of the sower and the seed, Jesus delivers one of, if not the most famous parable of his ministry. This story has been interpreted in a variety of ways, both orally and written. There are many misinterpretations of this parable. Only with the direction of the Holy Spirit, regular time dedicated to Bible study, and consideration of the context in which it is found, can we comprehend it properly. Palestinian farmers often walk to their fields over small worn paths, sometimes passing through adjacent parcels of land. They traveled carrying a fabric sack filled with seeds and sewn shut with coarse thread. Occasionally, the sack would leak, allowing seed to fall down on the root as he went to his field. When the farmer came, he would reach inside the bag, pluck out a handful of seed, and distribute them over the field's prepared rows. Some seeds would fall from his landing and land in areas that were not prepared for sowing. Jesus used this well-known picture to convey a crucial teaching moment to his audience. Immediately, we notice this parable represents four distinct soil kinds. Each soil is distinct, yet they all have some characteristics. We may begin by examining the similarities between the four instances. Each of the four instances include a farmer, although not the purpose of the parable. There's no debate about who the farmer is or how he carries out his responsibilities. Candid evaluation of the farmer's performance would be insufficient. Rather, of sowing seeds in rows, he scatters it. According to Jesus, some falls on the road, some on the rocky soil, some in thorns, and just a little amount settles in the prepared soil for planting. That would bring us to the seed. There is no difference between good and poor seeds in the four instances which means that all seeds have the capacity to develop and produce fruit. The farmer and the seed are the parable similarities. Now let's examine how each soil is unique. To begin, there are two in each of the four soil types. There is a difference in the soil. In the first example, Jesus refers to a worn path. If you've ever walked along a wilderness trail, you're familiar with a worn path. A compact, thick soil 
that a shovel, let alone a seed that has dropped to the ground, can hardly penetrate. Additionally, a worn path is devoid of obstructions. If a seed falls, the birds are able to immediately recognize it and remove it. As a consequence, no germination or growth is permitted. In the second case, the soil is looser and more receptive to the seed. The Palestinian area shown in this parable, a thin layer of soil lies on top of thick limestone formations. Not only is the terrain characterized as rocky due to the presence of rocks, but also due to a lack of depth. The seed that falls on this soil germinates much faster than the seed placed in deeper soil. It is more close to the components necessary for germination. Due to its shallow depth, it is closer to water, and the consistency of the soil aids in seedling emergence. As a consequence, it gets more sunshine. This combination promotes faster development of the seed throughout the early stages of life. Permanent establishment, on the other hand, is prevented when the roots come into contact with the limestone sublayer. The third example favors germination because it's rich and deep soil. It is, however, polluted with evasive plants, resulting in seedling overpopulation and asphyxia. Never having a chance to escape, the stifling plants prevent it from maturing to producing fruit. In the fourth case, the soil was specifically prepared for the seed. The soil is velvety smooth and well packed with nutrients. All the pollutants have been eliminated, resulting in increased fruit yield. Jesus recounts a story to his followers in the audience, giving an interpretation in the process. Before we read Jesus' explanation, let's take a moment to consider the basic issue. What prompted Jesus to begin teaching via parables? Luke chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. And when his disciples asked him, what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to the others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. The parable generated a considerable consternation. As a result, the disciples resolved to ask the question that they had been considering for some time. What purpose did Jesus' use of riddles serve in his teaching? Wasn't he attempting to impart knowledge to them? Didn't he want his message to be heard by everyone? Jesus replies by stating that although the disciples were given the ability to comprehend Jesus' teaching, not everyone else was. The parable implies that individuals who have been given insight will have access to the truth. They will demonstrate an interest in the story which will tempt and confound them, perhaps even discovering the parable's morals via the interpretation. Their real meaning, on the other hand, will escape them. Only those who have been given comprehension may comprehend the truth. It is essential for us to completely grasp the concept that Jesus is teaching his disciples and us. The concept holds true throughout the remainder of the chapter as well as the whole of the gospel. Jesus saw that not everyone was aware of the gospel's reality. According to certain Bible scholars, Jesus tells his followers that there are those who are ready to grasp the truth and others who are not. Those who lack the capacity to comprehend the truth will miss the purpose of the narrative and will be left in the dark. The passage from Matthew bolsters their argument. Matthew chapter 13, verse 15. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed. Least they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand and with their heart, 
turn and I would heal them. However, this disregards the text. Jesus is communicating in code. Regardless of one's spiritual condition, his parables remain perplexing. When the disciples requested an explanation, Jesus said that they had been given the privilege to understand the truth, while the rest of the multitude would remain in the dark. According to Jesus, the others have not been given the capacity to know the truth. Something or someone is obstructing the other's ability to comprehend the reality. Jesus is speaking in a disguised way in order to obscure the spiritual truths contained in his teaching. The listeners are responsible for their inability to comprehend. However, Jesus' message both affirms and hinders them from improving their circumstance. This has occurred before in the Bible, namely in the book of Isaiah, the Lord's commission to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 8 through 10. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of these people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. In John's gospel, Jesus addresses the Pharisees saying that their nature precludes them from recognizing him for who he is. John chapter 8 verses 42 through 47. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The barrier is not the listener's lack of interest in truth or in transits. God does not disclose ultimate truth to those who refuse to accept even the most basic of truths. Christians are often trapped in this self-created trap. If we are unable to dedicate ourselves to searching for truth in the scriptures, Hearing and studying God's word, we should not be shocked when he withholds insight from us on more difficult subjects in scripture. Proverbs chapter 2 verses 1 through 6. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like it is silver and search for it like a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Matthew chapter 13, verses 13 through 17. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull, with their ears they can barely hear, with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, 
Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see and hear what you hear and did not hear. Understanding God's word is a miraculous experience. The Holy Spirit teaches us the meaning of the word as we read it and hear it. The typical individual can readily decipher the English included in the statement and may even perhaps get some comprehension. However, the profoundity, the purpose, and the conviction will be absent. As a consequence, we arrive at the meaning for those who are able to hear. Luke chapter 8 verses 11 through 18. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and the devil comes and takes the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who have heard the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. And as for those who fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but they go on their way and they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word Hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care, then, of how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who does not have, even what he thinks he has shall be taken away. We can grasp the parable's full significance only when we have diligently sought insight from the Holy Spirit. Jesus provides the context for the story in this parable. The seed, according to Jesus, is the word of God. The seed is spread freely, carelessly, and even recklessly. With this interpretation, the parable is about the spread of God's word and the effect it has on the people who hear it. This is a critical message for both the disciples and for us. Why do individuals react in such diverse ways to God's word? Due to that fact, Jesus' statements are divine. The problem in his day was how the people and religious leaders personally responded to him. Because the Bible is today's word of God, the parable illustrates how people in the scriptures respond to Jesus. However, the parable's message remains true in any scenario. The four souls were then described by Jesus. The compact dirt symbolizes a closed and hardened heart that cannot be penetrated by anything, not even a word of the heart's creator. When the word comes, it has nowhere to take root, and the adversary works to ensure that it does not remain long. This is a depiction of a lost sinner who willingly rejects God and his message. Is this the kind of person to whom Jesus alluded to when he told his followers in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6? Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and then turn and attack you. When the topsoil dries up, a thin layer of rocky soil in the second soil has little chance of developing significant nutrition to keep the plant alive during the first drought. With regards to the individual, we have a representation of a believer exhibiting an early reaction to faith. When a believer, on the other hand, is faced with difficulties as a result of their religion, they will forsake it. This, according to James, is essential evidence of faith. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 27. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all a joy, my brothers, 
when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and let it be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubt, for the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea that is driven and tossed in the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and it withers the grass. Its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when he is tempted, that I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived birth and sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, for every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will be brought forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, and he goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, to examine yourselves, see whether you are in the faith, test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Further recalling Jesus' remarks to the hypocrites who pursued and accused Jesus. Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 49. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bushes. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of your heart his mouth will speak. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, 
and do not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. The purpose of test is to uncover truth. The trial exposes the truth about a believer's faith. As a consequence, the second circumstance is a forgery of confession. Individuals that seem to be Christians but are really non-believers. They will first react superficially to the gospel by confessing their sins, attending church, or a Bible study. Then, something completely upends their world, a divorce, a job loss, or a death in the family. Jesus states that the trials that lead a genuine Christian to the cross in pursuit of Jesus' consolation and strength will force these counterfeit Christians to slip away. We cannot afford to be naive. Our Lord teaches us that if the word is properly disseminated, it will reach unbelievers who are proud of their implicable hearts and will never accept the gospel message. As shown in example one, the hard-packed soil, this will result in unbelievers who think they understand what it is to be a Christian, abandoning their worldly interests and committing themselves to do Christian deeds after hearing about Christ. However, these are still works, and these imitators adhere to the new standards until they lose their attraction, at which time they will withdraw. In contrast to Peter's betrayal of Christ at his crucifixion, this individual goes away and never returns. Individuals who may boldly say, I was a Christian once. With the third example, the contaminated soil set aside and concentrating on the fourth soil, the good soil, this is a picture of a mature, productive Christian, and the Holy Spirit prepares their hearts as they receive the word, or in the case of the plant, the ground. After the seed, or in the case of the believer, the word of God, germinates and produces new life, a slow-growing process starts. Eventually, the new plant matures to the point where it may bear spiritual fruit many times. What started as a single seed has matured and multiplied countless times. Similarly, a Christian who matures in the faith has the ability to double the number of believers in the kingdom of God. Therefore, since the first and second examples, the hard-packed soil and the rocky soil, depicts two distinct kinds of unbelievers. Respectively, the third example, the good soil, clearly depicts a single type of believer. What can we anticipate from example three, the contaminated soil? It is critical to notice that in the third case, the contaminated soil, this is the first of three soils in which the plant grows and survives the trials. The main concern is no longer the soil. The soil is healthy and capable of supporting a wide variety of plant life, resulting in undesirable and dangerous development. As a result, we are not emphasizing the difficulties of initiating or maintaining the plant's existence here. Our focus is on the plant's manner of life. Unlike the fourth example, the good soil, this plant never develops to the point of fruit production. It produces no fruit because it's choked out by the thorns and the weeds. In the case of the believers, by the world's worries and riches, it is critical to notice that the thorns and weeds do not kill the plant. 
it survives, but it never develops and therefore lacks fruit production. This is a representation of a Christian who is unable to bear spiritual fruit and contributes no discernible benefit to God's kingdom since their faith is never reproduced. They are distracted by wealth and pleasures, allowing them to take center stage and diverting their focus and energy away from the creation of spiritual fruit necessary for reproduction of their faith. Which example would the Christian church serve today? Fortunately, it's not the instance of the hard-packed soil, which would imply the absence of a church. Numerous churches would fall under this second example, the rocky soil, to illustrate a false confession. These churches feature a large number of unbelievers in the pews, living out a Christian lifestyle in expectation of obtaining what they want. They soon lose their newfound acquired faith when confronted with hardships. There are likely to be a few Christians in every healthy church who reflect the fourth example, the good soil, which symbolizes mature and productive Christians who reproduce numerously via their maturity and love for the religion. However, how about the third instance, the contaminated soil? Would I be implying that this exemplifies the average Christian experience in a convenient, driven, prosperous society as ours? What are worldly pursuits, precisely? What does it mean to be consumed by material concerns? What does it mean to desire the world's riches? Where do you believe the thorns and the weeds originate, if not from the adversary? Is it fair to claim that many Christians today are a perfect representation of example three, the contaminated soil, infected with weeds and thorns that suffocate them and prevent them from attaining spiritual maturity with little concern for the repercussions of their actions? By the time they understand what they have lost in eternity for their decision to forego producing spiritual fruit now, it will be too late to return and correct the terrible error. Christ is delivering this parable because the crowd around him is a mixture of all these soils, and only a tiny portion of his disciples will grow spiritual fruit and replicate their faith. The unbeliever has two soils, one that seems to be a believer, the hard-packed soil, and one does not, the rocky soil. The believer has two soils, one who seems to be a believer, the good soil, and one that appears to be an unbeliever, the contaminated soil. Is it obvious to the rest of the world that we are believers? We should consider why so few Christians are ready to give up worldly pleasures in order to seek spiritual development and faith reproduction. At the appointed time, we shall see our Lord face to face. Our financial accounts, homes, accolades, picture albums will not impress him. It will be the spiritual fruit of our labor.